This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Space and humans' never-ending curiosity with what is above us. It's the stuff of dreams, but it's also fairly political. And since the race between the US and the Soviet Union to reach the moon in the 1960s, there's been a growing appetite to explore the great unknown with more countries heading on up. So sit back and let us tell you what has happened since Neil and Buzz touched down on the moon, why there's so much talk about Mars and the private companies entering the space race. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Simone Zaziaris. And I'm Claire Kimball. For thousands of years, people have looked up at the night sky with questions, and as technology has advanced, so too have we in coming closer and closer to answering them. First with telescopes, then with satellites, then space rovers, and ultimately with manned spacecraft. Claire, to start, let's go back in time and look at the first steps towards the space race. It all started with a Nazi rocket. It did. And in the 1930s and 1940s, Nazi Germany saw the possibilities of using long distance ballistic missiles as weapons. Late in World War II, what's known as the V-2 missiles or vengeance weapons, as its German name suggests, uh, were fired against Paris, Belgium, uh, but mostly used against the UK. And reports say they killed more than 2,700 British alone. And those who engineered the V-2s came to realise that it was unlike anything else that had ever been developed before. There had been smaller rockets built in the 1930s, but this was far bigger with a much greater range and it also had the destination programmed and that was very, very new technology. So it was much more sophisticated than anything built before and it was effectively the world's first space rocket. Yeah, so it's no surprise that when the war ended, the scramble was on for countries to get their hands on that technology. The Soviets ended up completely recreating a V-2 and the Americans took them over to the States to launch and carry out some of the first upper atmosphere experiments. And that technology is still used in space exploration today. So it's safe to say then that the V-2s were rather unknowingly the beginning of the space age and what became a competition between the US and the Soviets. It was the Soviets, though, that were the first to score a victory when they launched the Earth's first artificial satellite, Sputnik 1. That happened in October 1957. Yeah, and that successful launch came as quite a shock to the US, who'd hoped to launch its own artificial satellite first. The fact that the Soviets were successful fed fears that the US military had fallen behind in developing new technology. As a result, the launch of Sputnik really intensified the arms race and raised tensions between the rivals. Things really ramped up from there. Without going into the nitty gritty details, over the next several years, the space race bounced between the two with both sides ticking off many other firsts. But then NASA's Apollo program came into play. That, of course, was a series of missions to get humans on the moon. It got off to a tragic start in 1967 when all three astronauts on board the Apollo 1 were killed during a launch rehearsal test and that caught fire. Uh, But they pressed on and there were several Apollo missions after that one. The Soviet's moon program, on the other hand, was losing momentum. Then came that big moment. In July 1969, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon and walked on its surface during the Apollo 11 mission. And that was when the space race really reached its peak. And although there were more American and Soviet missions after the Apollo program, that really, for optics sake, uh, meant that it was the US that had won the race. 
And over the years, things between the two sides simmered and both agreed to work together and build the International Space Station. That's the large spacecraft in orbit around Earth that serves as a home to astronauts. All was well until a couple of weeks ago, Claire, when Russia caused a stir when it announced plans to build its own space station. Here we go again. Let's get stuck into where things are at now. The obsession with the moon seems to have been put on the back burner. Now, Claire, it's Mars that's all the rage, and that's because it has a lot of similarities to Earth. That's right. Scientists consider Mars to be the one that's most capable of hosting ecosystems, so life, (laughs) and it means that many believe that it's a place that we could one day live. And 2020 was a big year for Mars exploration, and that's because, as they say, the planets aligned. Yeah, yeah, they did. Once every 26 months, there's a small window where Earth and Mars come close together. It basically allows for the quickest and most efficient journey, so it's quite an attractive deadline for those space explorations. Yeah, and there were three countries that jumped on board that opportunity last year. The United Arab Emirates launched the HOPE mission that plans to stay in a wide orbit to study Mars's weather and climate systems. The US is up there with Percy, but more on him in a little bit. But first, last year, China launched its first Mars exploration mission. It's called the Taiwan 1 mission, and it's also currently in orbit. But unlike the HOPE mission, it's planning to land on the planet sometime in May or June. It's there to study its surface and search for water ice and also liquid water that may be linked to signs of life. Yeah, and the stakes are high for China, Claire. Yeah, China has been trying to reassert its dominance in the space race for years and particularly over its neighbour, India. And that's because India is not only a competitor in space, but also on Earth as well. India is among a handful of countries that have managed to put a satellite into orbit around Mars. That's called the Magellan Robotic Probe. It did that in 2014 and it was the first to do on its maiden mission. Those politics, hey? So far, only uncrewed spacecraft have made the trip to the planet, but that could all change pretty soon. The US is leading on this front, which brings us, as promised, to Percy Clare. That's NASA's Perseverance rover, and we've been keeping a close eye on him at the squeeze. (laughs) It landed in mid-February and has been keeping busy snapping pictures of its surroundings and analysing rocks nearby. And Percy's main job is doing a lot of the groundwork to inform future human missions to the Red Planet. Uh, NASA's goal is to land the first humans on Mars by the 2030s. And whilst Percy is the main man, it also has a fleet of other robotic spacecraft and rovers on and around Mars, helping them to learn more about the planet and also finding new ways that can help astronauts survive on Mars. So living up there is quite a way off, but never say never. And as if it wasn't crowded enough up there, Claire, a lot of the space news these days, at least from the United States, comes out of the private sector. Let's get into that now. Government-led agencies have achieved amazing things since the moon landings, but it's private companies that have caught eyes in recent years. And that's because while governments are focused more on space for Earth activities such as national security, basic science, national pride, it's the private sector that's focused on getting people into space. I don't know about you, Simone, but the latter sounds much more exciting. (laughs) It does, it does. There are several players in that game as well, but out of all of the people weighing in on space, Claire, the voice of two billionaires ring the loudest. Not only the loudest, but also the most often. And that, of course, is Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. And according to them, their main goal is to make space more accessible to everyday people. 
Yeah, bold visions one and all. Let's start with Jeff Bezos, Claire. The Amazon tycoon founded Blue Origin in 2000. It wants a permanent base on the moon and to build space colonies and eventually have one trillion people living and working in space. So just a small (laughs) thing. Uh, Just last week, Blue Origin said in a video that it'll soon be selling tickets for rides on its space tourism rocket called New Shepard. It hasn't revealed how much those tickets will cost, only saying that some more details will come. A classic watch this space. As for Elon (laughs) Musk, he's a big name in the tech biz world and he's quite the personality, Claire. Oh, yeah, he really is. He's the CEO of the electric car and battery company Tesla. But if you ask him, his official title (laughs) is Techno King, I think is how you pronounce it, of Tesla. (laughs) And importantly for these shortcuts, he founded um, the company SpaceX in 2002 and calls himself the Imperator of Mars. And he's ambitious for having been very vocal about launching people to Mars, establishing a self-sustaining city there and using the Red Planet as a base to further explore the solar system. He's certainly ambitious and he's made waves by upending the rocket launch industry by securing 60% of the global commercial launch market and building ever larger spacecraft designed to ferry passengers, not just to the International Space Station, but also to its own promised settlement on Mars. It's also received a number of contracts from NASA, uh, including to put NASA's astronauts on the moon for the first time since 1972. Yeah, that was a US $2.9 billion contract that SpaceX beat out Blue Origin for. But NASA handing out contracts to private companies isn't new. No, it's not. NASA has long awarded contracts, usually to defence contractors, and that's because it only has to fund a certain amount while the partner pays for the remainder of the program's costs. So it's a budgetary win-win for NASA. Uh, It shepherds also development of space technologies while saving some money. What is new, however, is an increase in the number of space exploration missions and growing demand for services like satellites. That's right. And what happens is the greater availability and capacity of services has driven down the costs across the board, which could mean the development of more would-be space companies into the future. Having too many chefs in the kitchen isn't always such a bad idea. No, and one of the hopes is that having different companies approach the same kind of problem could mean greater solutions. It could also remove the impacts of unexpected geopolitics uh, and also opens the door to greater attention to exploration and things like getting back on the moon and visiting Mars. All in all, a lot of interest, it seems, Claire, but it doesn't look like we'll have a winner for the modern space race anytime soon. And that's your shortcut to the modern day space race. On to our recommendations. Each episode of Squiz Shortcuts, we recommend some further reading, watching or listening. Mine is one to watch for this Saturday, the 8th of May. Elon Musk is hosting Saturday Night Live. It's controversial already. <laughs> He's not a comedian or maybe he is. Maybe maybe <laughs> it's just us that hasn't gotten onto the joke yet. But yeah, that will have a lot of eyes on it. That's for sure. Uh, mine is the BBC series 13 Minutes to the Moon. I've gone on and on in our podcast before about how great that series is, but it really goes through those Apollo missions and that real excitement of landing the first people on the moon with Neil Armstrong and that Apollo 11 mission. Good one. Thanks for listening in. If you like what you've heard, please tell people about the podcast. And if you have any requests, you can send them through to hello at thesquiz.com.au. In the meantime, there are plenty more episodes for you to have a listen to, so get onto that. Until next time. Hold up. 